Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. John Hewlett is a St. Louis classic. He grew up in STL. He's been a DJ for nearly 50 years at KC95, the classic rock station that consistently ranks at or near the top of St. Louis radio ratings. For almost an unbroken stretch of 40 seasons, too, he's been the man behind the announcer's mic at Cardinals Bush Stadium games. And on Thursday night at the Sheldon Concert Hall, John Uman Hewlett, will be the man on stage reflecting on his career at an event called Life, Death, and Other Scary Things, an evening with KC 95's John Hewlett. But for now, he's here as our guest on St. Louis on the Air, and we're excited to have him. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. (laughs) It's wonderful to have you. Let's start sort of at the the beginning, and that's with your childhood as a, a St. Louis kid, you grew up in South St. Louis in Lafayette Square, uh, that area during the 1960s. John, what was the area like back then? Well, um, it was nothing like it is now. I mean, it was it was decaying. You know, the inner city was it was decaying uh, dramatically at that at that period of time, and and um, so you know all those historic old grand buildings that fortunately some people started coming in in the late 1960s and 70s and uh, and refurbished and and brought that area back to life because uh, if they wouldn't I mean it would have just been uh, sad to see so many great fantastic old historic buildings just continue to just f- decay and fall apart and and you know those buildings as you know we were young kids you know, 10 11 12 years old to us they became playgrounds you know mm-hmm. we went in those buildings and we helped dis- Tear, tear some of those buildings down and, you know, breaking windows when you're a kid, especially if you like to throw in rocks and stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, a great place for that. But unfortunately, you know, and at the time, you know, we didn't realize we were contributing to decadence. You know, we were just little kids and mm-hmm. just the way the, the neighborhood looked, uh, uh, you just contributed, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, that and, and, uh, and there was a lot of crime in the area. Um, you know, it was a very volatile area at that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, civil, civil rights uh, uh, battle was, was, had really uh, heated up. And, um, you know, there were, there were um, motorcycle gangs. It was, a, you know, Harley Davidson uh, motorcycle gangs were, were like a new thing in the 60s, kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were violent and they were in the area as well. So, you know how how we survived and got out of there. Uh, you know, was, uh, I don't I don't know how we did it, but uh, somehow we survived and and found our way to uh, my brother and I. When I say we, uh, to a, a pr- prosperous lives. Mm-hmm. What was the the soundtrack to that growing up? Uh, it was it was it was KC radio. It was uh, KADI radio. It was uh, it was you know. Um, progressive rock music that was always playing in the background, the Rolling Stones, 
um, you know, very eclectic stuff uh, from the 60s. Uh, well, well, the Beatles, of course, when they evolved to become quote-unquote progressive, you know, with their with their music, uh, that was in the background. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was... It, it, it was a, a great environment for someone like myself who was in tune to music. Didn't realize how in tune I was oh, at that okay. time, but I was picking up on all of it. And, and it helped me evolve uh, to become the music lover that I am today, believe mm-hmm. it or not, from that environment. Yeah. And was there anything about that, that environment that you're talking about that influenced you know, the way that you saw or understood who your future audience was going to be? Uh, well, not not at that particular time, I don't think. I mean, that that, that was a, a an evolving process uh, after getting hired in my job and, and learning what our audience was going to be. But it was back then that uh, you know I heard Jack Buck doing Cardinal Baseball on the radio, and and I heard DJs on on KXOK radio, and and I heard those guys. And I remember sitting on the front steps of our home there on 18th Street one day. It was a sunny day, and I was sitting there, and I had the radio on, and, I, and it just dawned on me. I said to myself, I want to be that guy. You know, I want to be, I, I had this dream that I want to be on the radio in my hometown, and everybody would know my name. And when I first started in the business, I didn't think that was possible, because we were told as I was broad, going to Broadcast Center for, for my broadcasting education, that you got to go, you, you got to leave your hometown. You know, you got to go to small markets, work in small markets. You, you'll end up in some big city somewhere else, but nobody ever really ends up in their hometown, mm-hmm. you know. But my dream came true. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, here I am. Right. I'd like to invite you into the conversation. Do you have a question for John Hewlett or maybe a memory to share that includes him? Give us a call at 314 382 8255. That's 382 Talk. Or you can email us at talk at stlpr.org. I put out a, an ask to the folks here at this station about you. And uh, Laura, whom you met downstairs, was very yeah. excited. And a question that she had has to do with the origin of the Keishi Loan Classic. She says she always loved listening to that. And that she asked her dad, who's a, a professional percussionist, if he remembered the song that they would choose. And he'd almost always be able to identify it. Uh And apparently, she said that her father suggested to you at a speaker store next to Emo's in Webster (laughs) Groves that you should play more vinyl. Did did that influence the creation of the Lone Classic? Well, I I mean, what time frame was she talking about? Do you know what uh, what year she might be referring to? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, the Lone Classic actually goes back... Uh, before I started doing the Casey Classic show in uh, 1991, so it was during the uh, late 80s, I guess, that uh, they, that the the station had developed the concept of the Lone Classic to pull the song that doesn't get played anymore that we used to play fr- fairly frequently, mm-hmm. and and just highlight that song on that given day. But our our production director Ed Brown made this fantastic opening to that segment on mm-hmm. the air, and it was a uh, hi ho sweet meat. Away, and then uh, <laughs> instead of because sweet meat's a pig, right, it, but, right, but with sound earrings, effect, right? Y- yes, yeah. yes. But the sound effects were of a horse galloping away, you know, and, and so it was kind of a funny uh, intro, and it just caught on the lone classic, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, that I, I can't claim uh, to be the one who uh, started that, but I've I've loved being a part of that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people come up to have come up to me over the years and ask me to. You know, play certain things on the Lone Classic, and it's always having that special touch with the audience that uh, you know kept me 
interested in staying in radio for a long time. Sure. Because, you know, that connection. Well, and it has been quite some time. <clears throat> you started with Keishi again in 1976. Yeah. So how was it that you ended up there uh, at 19 years of age? Well, the man who's putting on the show that we're going to have at the Sheldon Theater, Life, Death, and Other Scary Things, Ron Stevens, was the program director at Keishi at the time, and he heard a tape of me at Broadcast Center after I had left and I was working in the radio business in Jefferson City, Missouri, mm-hmm. doing that small town thing. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he liked that tape, and he, he asked the school if he could get in touch with me, with me, and they gave him my phone number, and he called, and, and he wanted to hire me, and I don't know, I was, I, you know, I knew of Casey, of course, because I grew up in St. Louis, but, but I knew how their jocks were, how their announcers were, and I wasn't necessarily into that type of, of radio. I want to be either a sports broadcaster, a baseball play-by-play announcer, or somebody connected to playing um, uh, more, I guess, top 40 type music, because that's what they kind of taught us in school, you know. Right, right. So Keisha didn't fit my uh, ideas of what I might have wanted to do in the business. In the business, So I turned the job down, and then he, he called again. I turned it down another time, and that time <laughs> I told him a lie. I told him my mother didn't want me to do it because it was a <laughs> drug-oriented radio station. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, he still didn't buy, he didn't take that for a no, and he, he insisted, and then I realized, hey, at least I get to come back to St. Louis, play softball with my buddies, I had a girlfriend here, I said, all right, I'll come back, I'll take the job, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. So when you first got there, I mean, what were your impressions of, of the station? Well, first you walk into the building that, that they had there in Crestwood, uh, it was a cinder block building. And it looked like the popcorn stand for the drive-in, which was right next door, you know, so it easily could have been mistaken. And so, you know, coming from where I was when I first started in the business, I was at KEZK, and that was a very corporate setting and up in a a professional building. And out in Jeff City, they had a nice facility themselves out there. And this was small market radio. And I come back to the major market, and I walk in that building, and I'm going, what? This this place is a dump. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it wasn't long that I learned to love that dump mm. because so much tremendous history came through there in those years from, I, I don't know, well, I guess we were in that building from 69-ish, something like that, until 1986. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of years of rock stars coming in before they were rock stars. I mean, you didn't you know who was going to yeah. be a rock star back then. So, oh, we're, we're going to play his record or her record. Fine. Okay, good. Most of the time they went, you know, didn't do much. But there were those that, of course, became superstars. Yeah. And we have great photos of those artists with us back in those days. Even though we didn't have cell phones like they have now today to capture, we, we, did, we did get enough to where you'll see at this event Thursday night if you come. So many great photos that I've never shown before, uh, uh, before that, uh, you know, even though we have our, our museum at, at the Casey website and stuff. Some of these photos I've found here since those Photos became popular, I mean, became public, will we'll come out that night, Thursday mm-hmm. night. Yeah. So Thursday night, I mean, you're going to be talking about a lot of different things. As you're sitting here in, in this spot talking with us, is there a, a memory that you have of one of those groups, one of those rock groups whose music you played and playing it at Keishi really was a thing that initiated their their launch. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I'll start with Rush, okay? Um, <clears throat> Rush, very progressive, high-energy, threesome rock band that St. Louisans love. And it was 
77, somewhere in that time frame, when uh, uh, Neil Peart, who's the drummer for the band, came in to an interview with me. And, you know, somebody took a picture of us sitting together in the studio talking, and, and it's one of my most treasured pictures because, A, he hardly ever did any interviews or, or meet and greets. And uh, he did just when he was young. And to, to have him one day, because, again, they were just a band that was just trying to find their way. And for him to become one of the greatest, if not the greatest drummer in rock history is, you know, pretty amazing. Uh, and how nice and kind he was, very reserved. Uh, Steve Perry and, uh, and Journey, you know, uh, when, they, when, when Steve Perry joined Journey, of course, he transformed the band. And, and that band worked so hard up to that point to get any kind of radio airplay that they got. And Casey was part of a, a company, Century Broadcasting, that had stations in St. Louis, Detroit, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So we had quite a bit of power. Oh. We played your music. If our company played your music, you were going to sell records. Right, right. And those guys would come to St. Louis all the time. And, and would hang out at the radio station. And I had pictures of myself with Steve Perry getting a proclamation from the St. Louis County Journey Day in St. Louis County and a picture of the, him at, uh, at a, a meet and greet at uh, Peaches Records on Hampton Avenue, which was an iconic music spot for St. Louisans for a long time. Uh, and I'm in the background standing with him. Uh, you know, the, uh, another example of how Casey helped those two bands uh, start with meager beginnings, right. having no idea that someday, everywhere you go, you go to sporting events now and you're going to hear a Journey song, Don't Stop Believing, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, to, to think that that evolved into all of this is just incredible, yeah. you know? So if there were stations elsewhere, was there ever any temptation for you to leave here and go somewhere else, John? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kind of hard for me to talk about it sometimes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but the other was a time. Uh, there was a one serious time. And there hadn't. And there were some other flirtations that could have happened. But it was one serious time where I was I was actually walking out the door with my stuff in my box in a box, and um, Rick Bayless, who was our program director at the time, and John Beck, who was our general manager, saw me and caught me just as I was exiting the door to go to a meeting to join another radio station and another morning show Mm -hmm. and uh, they pulled me into the office and they changed my mind on the spot and made an offer that kept me there okay so it was the offer it was the offer and it was the history that I had established at Casey at that point that I didn't want to just let go um well, yeah, I mean it was the offer that was uh, that was uh, enticing me uh, initially and I guess as I was walking out the door, the, the other aspect of it, the history of it, and what I had already accomplished at the radio station, it took that moment to, to capture me and, and make me change my mind. Yeah. It wasn't all about money at that point. Right, right. On the note of history, we've got Madeline who's calling from St. Louis. Madeline, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you, um, John. I don't know if you soon remember me, but... From about 1986 to 87, uh, when you moved, when Kishi moved to uh, Union Station, I had just moved to town, and I met you and Don Johnson. Um, if Margot Sutter and I would come over to the station, because we were both, um, we had stores, we had, um, we were yes. managing, <laughs> so we would run over and um, sing Party Town 
on the air with you and then run back to our stores <laughs> by chance. I do <laughs> remember you and Margot, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was, I was just driving in my car and heard John Hewlett. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, oh, that's really awesome. Good to hear you. Oh, it's, it's really good to hear you. Thank you for taking the time to call in and saying hello. So, uh, 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 did you stay in touch with Margot? Well, I have, even though she's, you know, she's always on the move. All right. Um, she's still over in, <laughs> over in Illinois with ra- raising horses. Yeah, tell her uh, I said hello. I, talked, I will, I okay. will. I haven't talked to Don in a while, but now since I've heard you, I'm going to try to reach out to him. Yeah, he'll be there Thursday okay. night. He's going. He's part of the event on Thursday night at the Sheldon, Sheldon Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for calling, Madeline. And I think, you know, this really speaks to the power of what you have done over the years, that you've been able to connect with people and, and through people. Uh, and it's it's wonderful to hear somebody just call in after having yeah. heard that you were going to be on the station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the connection with the audience, of course, uh, you know, when, you, when you've been at a radio station that has as loyal a, a uh, listenership mm-hmm. as Casey does... Uh, you're you're going to run into those people, and it's fantastic. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue our conversation with KC DJ John Hewlett. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Let's return to our conversation with John Hewlett, longtime DJ at the classic rock radio station KC95 and the Cardinals Bush Stadium announcer. We're talking about his nearly five decades long career and how it's still going strong, even in semi retirement. We want to take this time to hear from Buddy. I'm glad you Buddy. got that semi-retirement yes, thing. Yes, yeah, semi. most people blow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Buddy is calling from Iowa. Buddy, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, go ahead. Um, I grew up in the 70s, and there was the big uh, disco sucks riot in Chicago. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then uh, pretty soon there was a battle kind of between... Uh, album play, and top 40. I was wondering, I know you're a music lover, and you know all them other Rush songs, Pink Floyd songs that really don't get played. Mm -hmm. Did that ever bother you? That, you know, you you weren't playing some of those songs that you thought were great? (laughs) You know, we would get frustrated sometimes because we'd fall in love with a song off an album, and, 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 you know, record companies would just bring us the albums, and then we would play whatever we wanted off of them. You know, we'd get some mm-hmm. direction from the record company because there'd be certain songs that they'd want us to emphasize. Sure. But they'd still let us pick whatever we wanted to play off albums. And so, yeah, we'd find a song that we liked playing. And when I say Casey played something in heavy rotation, I mean, they might have played it twice a day. You know, oh, okay. yeah, not like, you know, top 40 stations were playing the song like maybe a dozen times a day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we and, and then we'd, we'd see that song started to become a hit, start moving up the charts. And at, at some point, our management would say, we got to let it go. You know, it's too popular. We can't play it anymore. Now, that flies in the face of any kind of successful radio, music radio station you normally would work for. Because most radio stations want to play the hits because that's what's going to keep most people listening at the highest amount of, you know, level of, of, uh, of, uh, of um, 
uh, listenership is going to be when you're playing great songs. Right, right. And we played good songs, but we'd also have our dips and we'd play our personal favorites that weren't necessarily hits, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, so sometimes songs become so popular we'd have to let them go and, and we'd start finding other things off the album that mm-hmm. we might thought we thought were good. Well, it and sounds like an approach that worked. It did for a long time. It did, yeah. It was like, it was freeform rock radio, you know, mm-hmm. so we were, we were able to... Uh, develop our not only our on, on our on-air personalities as individuals but in the style of music that we played and we liked mm-hmm. people could listen to the show and go oh so and so's on the air cuz he likes the blues uh, you know or uh, you know John Hewlett's on the air cuz he likes you know bubblegum no uh, so <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah i mean uh, it was frustrating at times for us back then to have our artists kind of co-opted by top 40 radio and we had to let them go yeah. you know but he thanks so much for calling all the way from uh, Iowa. I appreciate you. Yeah. And I, I grew up listening to Jack Buck and you, and uh, it was great times. And I hope we get back to that attitude, just play everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Well, on Sunday mornings, I still have a show. They let me play whatever I want still for four hours. <laughs> so. right. That's the yeah. semi-retirement part. That's the semi-retirement part. So for many years, John, Casey was located just across from Crestwood Plaza on Watson Road. And it was a place where people could walk up to the window and yeah. interact with the, the DJs. What was that like? It was, it, it was crazy. I mean, it, it was, you know, you'd be sitting there doing a radio show and um, people would walk up to the window and bang on the window, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, you can hear them yelling out there. And, you know, sometimes we'd have the curtains drawn, you know, if we didn't want visitors, sometimes the window would be open. And, and um, so they'd come up and, and we'd sell out the window Casey t-shirts and hats and concert tickets. So we were both doing a radio show and also running a small, you know, local uh, business, you know, selling stuff. And so, and then and then we had, you know, people would come and request songs, of course. And and our album rack was right near the window too. And there were times when people would come up and they'd wait for you to go on the air and mm-hmm. you'd start talking and then they'd reach in the window and they'd grab some albums and they'd steal albums oh my and, goodness. and run off <laughs> with them. And we had to constantly replenish the Led Zeppelin catalog because the L's were right along the window there, right? right. There. <laughs> <laughs> so was it hard to do that job of you know being on the radio? with people banging on the window? Or was there something that it actually added to make it really feel like this is radio that's happening in your community? Well, that's a good point you make. I mean, it really was that, that personal touch that I really think has allowed Casey to evolve as still one of the great, well, the greatest and longest running FM rock station in the country because of that personal connection we had, that radio station being right in the heart of the community. And people had that access where they could come up and talk to the jock anytime they wanted Mm -hmm. and ask for him to play some songs and he'd play them, you know? And so, yeah, that, that whole, uh, one-on-one feel with our audience, uh, I think to this day still is one reason why some people in our, in our, more, more uh, ardent listeners uh, just refuse to listen to some other radio station. Yeah. They still love Casey because of what Casey has meant to them in their lives over all these years. Mm-hmm. Now, another facet of your career is being the public address announcer at Bush Stadium. That's certainly yeah. not a one-to-one. It's one to very, yeah, yeah, very many. Yeah. And you're about to start your 40th full season there. Mm-hmm. You talked about loving baseball. Mm-hmm. How is it that you landed that gig, though? 
Well, I mean, sometimes it's the smallest decision that you make in your life that can lead to some of the greatest outcomes. And that was the case, this case for me. Uh, I was working at Casey, and this was 1981, and I was doing 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And the guy who was doing just one news and sports cast in the morning decided, eh, it's a little too much for me. I, I think I'll quit. <laughs> so he left. And I said to our station manager, hey, I'll come in early and do that. And, uh, you know, I'll get a press pass to go to the Cardinal games and the Blues games and football Cardinal games and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, if that's what you want to do with it, fine. So I turned it into something that really was appealing to me and fun for me. And I'll be darned if the Cardinals don't go to the World Series in 1982. And they won the World Series. And so I, the station said, well, the Cardinals have been in the World Series for a long time. We'll pay for you to go travel with the team and cover the team in Milwaukee in the World Series, Atlanta in the playoffs. And I was like, fantastic. So not, not long after this whole thing evolved, I'm on an airplane and the Cardinal charter plane sitting next to Stan Musial and his wife as we're flying to Atlanta for the first playoff game in 1982. And the guy who was doing PA after for the 82 season quit. And since I got to know some people in the Cardinal organization, they said, hey, you want to do the job? And I got it. But if I wouldn't have made that decision to do news and sports to get those press passes as a young guy in 1981, I would have never been in a position to to get that job. Right place, right time, right guy. Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully. Yeah. So you... Have had a lot of late nights. You would have had oh, yeah. a lot of late nights at Bush Stadium, and then you turn around to do a morning show. How did you swing that? Yeah, it was it was tough. Well, well, you know, adrenaline was was running high because I loved both jobs. So uh, you know, when you got that kind of drive inside of you, you're going to do whatever it takes. You know, and as a matter of fact, I mean, to me, it was a challenge. And I, I, I accepted it as a challenge, and I loved the challenge. Even to this day, that 81-game regular season, I, that's my mountain to climb every year. You know, I, I adjust my, everything in my schedule to make sure I make every game. My, my children have adjusted their marriages. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, we had a baby come, and he fit right in there nicely in between <laughs> the homestands. So, you know, we do everything. I, I try to do everything I can. Because when they hired me back in 1983, they asked, they said, we want the same experience for a fan every time they come to the game. We want to hear the, the same wow. voice every time. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm your guy. I'll do that. Yeah. And that, I've taken that serious, you know, the whole time. So was, is your voice at the stadium, is it different from your voice on Keishi? I don't think so. I mean, well, I mean, well, you know, like when you're on the radio and you're just joking around and you're having fun with people and you're laughing and it's, yeah, you're not as, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm probably not projecting my voice the same on radio as I would at the stadium because, you know, the announcement have to be clear and distinct and you have to drive your voice a little bit more probably. Yeah. So a few weeks ago on the show, we talked with uh, our former morning newscaster, Wayne Pratt, and he's taken on a new role here at St. Louis Public Radio. And one of the questions we asked him was about if he was a morning person. He said, absolutely not. Are you in the same boat? I never thought of myself as a morning person, but uh, I knew early on that if I was going to get in, in the radio business and make it and make decent money and make a good living at it, I had to get into morning radio. So 
that was a conscious decision I made. Whether I considered myself a morning person back then, no, not at all. Especially coming off of some of the other air shifts that I had worked prior to that, 7 to midnight. You know, you'd, after I get off the air at midnight, I'd go out and party with friends until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, go get something to eat, get up, sleep till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, I was not in condition to do morning radio at that particular time in my life, but I, I made the change and never looked back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is last question. You will be doing this show at the Sheldon on Thursday evening yeah. with Ron Stevens, who hired you mm-hmm. at Keishi, and it's called Life, Death, and Other Scary Things. <laughs> What are the scary things in just a, a few words? <laughs> well, I mean, I think as my generation continues to, to get older, and that'd be the baby boom generation, although I'm on the uh, <clears throat> younger end of that, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, we, we are all wondering different things in our lives, you know? Uh, different things scare us, and I'm going to tell you the things that scare me, and, and, and uh, we're going to make fun of those things, I think, and... And but at the same time, it's gonna there'll be some serious discussion too. But it's gonna be a lot of laughs and uh, a lot of a lot of people taking shots at me, and I deserve it. You know, <laughs> 50, 47 years yeah. on radio station. Some some old workmates are coming. John Hewlett is a longtime DJ at KC ninety five, the Cardinals Bush Stadium announcer, and an in real life St. Louis classic. John, thank you so much for joining us oh, today. Thank you for having me. Today's episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.